0: So we're going to think tonight on Daniel 4. The king is humbled, and appreciate the good summary that Adam gave uh, earlier. This chapter is mainly an account written by King Nebuchadnezzar, and this man who we have seen uh, put the uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace is now used to write a part of God's word, and he shares what has happened. To him, for the praise and the glory of God. That's the opening few verses. He sets the scene, and his desire in writing this is so that indeed God would be glorified, and God would indeed be praised. And this chapter is the the climax of God's dealings with Nebuchadnezzar. Those dealings began when the two, when the three, uh, sorry, four young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel refused to compromise in regards to the food they took. It then continued through the dream of the statue, which Daniel alone was able to share and to explain. And then through what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how in the fiery furnace they weren't harmed. And forth, one like the Son of God walked with them and delivered him. God has been working in this man's life. This has happened over many years. It started out when Daniel was a very young teenager, And now Daniel is a much older man. Now, as we look at this chapter, I want to think about, first of all, the king's dream. And this dream of the tree is the second dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. It is of a tree that covers the earth in which the birds' nest, the animals shelter under, and it feeds all the animals and people of the world. But then it's cut down. All that's left is a stump that's bound with iron and bronze, speaking of it being enslaved. And in many ways, the meaning of the dream would not have been too difficult to guess. Yet all the, the wise men are unable to do it. Or is it that maybe they didn't want to do it? They didn't want to try and interpret because the idea of a great tree that covered the earth in which all the birds and animals shelter in, the people shelter under, and then is cut down, would point to Nebuchadnezzar. And so they probably did not want to share it. They would have been reluctant to share something that wasn't so good. Daniel himself was greatly disturbed. He thought highly of Nebuchadnezzar. He preferred that this would be true about his enemies. But in Daniel, we see his faithfulness as he shares these challenging words. And you know, we likewise have to be like Daniel. We can't just say things that people want to hear. If we're going to be faithful to the Lord, we're going to say things at times which will challenge people, rebuke people, annoy people. That's what we're called to do, and we need a bit of backbone in that. We need God to strengthen us for that task. Now, we don't go out of our way to annoy people. We don't go out of our way to disturb people. But if we're faithful to what God says, whether it's about morals, whether it is about salvation, whether it's about entering heaven, we will annoy people. And we need to be ready for that. It reminds me here of Samuel when he was called by God. And God told him what was going to happen to Eli and his family. And Samuel was scared to share it. But in the end, he was faithful. And from that little faithful beginning, God blessed him and he became this prophet for the whole nation. So if we are faithful, God will bless it, and God will continue to use us. This dream is a warning both of God's watchfulness, the, those who cut the tree in verse 23 are described as a, the watchers, and also His sovereign control and ability to bring people up and to humble people at the same time. But that's interesting. The angel is called the, the watcher. Are you aware that you are being watched? We're being watched much more than we ever realize. Yesterday evening, we were in Belfast, on the way home from Belfast. We stopped at the Abbey Center to go to Nando's. And before we had even started, even our, before our food had got our length, Chair uh, I've got a text message from my sister who lives in Ballygawley, County Tyrone, to say... Uh, hope you will enjoy your meal in Nando's at the Abbey Center. And that, How did my sister in County Tyrone know that we were doing? A lady who knew us or knew my sisters spotted us going in. She sent a message to her daughter who sent a message to my sister and who sent a message to us. And we're watched far more than we ever realized. People are watching us. The angels are watching us. God is watching us. Uh, you know, We need to be very aware of that. Nothing is hidden from God. We can hide things from our wives. We can hide things from our husbands. We can hide things from our parents. Nothing is hidden from God. God is the watcher. And this dream was given to encourage Nebuchadnezzar to repent. Verse 27, he's encouraging him to turn from evil and to practice righteousness. And we need to remember the God who watches us is the God in control, the God who has the ability to humble us, to bring us down. If we don't repent, we have to fear this God, and that's crucial. So we have the king's dream. And then secondly, we have the king's humiliation. A year passed on from the dream, and certainly Nebuchadnezzar had not been humbled. Look there at verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty? Pride, and as Adam was saying, with I very much at the center. Pride takes God out of the picture and exalts ourselves. Pride means we're big in our view. God is small. And that's the wrong way around. In our thinking, in our views, God needs to be the big one. We need to be small. And I think one of the greatest dangers for Christians today is always the danger of pride. Pride is so so dangerous. Uh, We can be proud of the things we do. We can even be proud that we're not proud. Uh, The devil has a way of getting us and tripping us up. Pride is something that's so dangerous. I remember a number of years ago, a minister who I know and respect, and a very good minister, and he was asked one time to go and speak at a quite an important conference over in Scotland, and remember, he told me this himself, he thought he was the B's and E's. He thought he was God's answer to the problems of the church when he got that invitation. And he went over to that conference, he was so full of himself, and he fell flat. It was one of the most humbling experiences he ever went through. And he shared that, so we all just won't make the same mistake if we begin to think, boy, I'm good, I'm wonderful, pride comes before a fall. And these proud words had just left King Nebuchadnezzar when his dream is fulfilled. He's driven from the people for seven years to live with this crazy mind, troubled, disturbed, and to live among the wild animals as one of them, verse 33. We see here how quickly God's judgment can come upon people. He just said those words of pride, and immediately he's driven away. It reminds us of Jesus' warning, surely, that he will come like a thief in the night. That's why we have to be ready. That's why we have to be sure we're right with God, because in a moment, judgment can come upon us. In what happens to Nebuchadnezzar, In this humbling, we see a picture of humanity who have degraded themselves with sin. When you think of him living among the animals, living like a wild animal himself, in many ways, that's a picture of what humanity has become. Romans 1 talks about God gave people over several times. He gave people over to their sins to live a life that really is dishonoring, a life of embarrassment, a life of humiliation. Peter in 2 Peter 2 and 12 speaks of how people have become like brute beasts. Instead of being people made in the image of God who live for God with dignity and honor, following their lusts and desires, becoming just like an animal. It's important to understand the full impact of what sin is does to us. You see, our great need is not just to be aware of our sins, the actions we do. Our great need is to be aware of the power of sin within us. I remember years ago reading a book, Sin and Temptation. It's a wee abridged version of something written by the Puritan John Owen. And I remember reading that book, and you know, it scared me. It made me think, This man knows me. This man who lived about 400 years or so ago, he knows me. He was sharing from Scripture the power of sin and what sin does to us. We need to understand this, that every part of our being is twisted, it is contaminated by sin. And that every part of our being needs a redeeming work, the cleansing work of Jesus the king's humiliation. And then thirdly, we have the king's restoration from verse 34 on. It took seven years of humiliation before Nebuchadnezzar returned to his senses. Often we are very slow learners, aren't we? You read that, the people of God in the Old Testament going from Egypt, how they continued to fall and to fail, come into the promised land, they continue to do that again. How amazingly patient God was with them. How amazingly patient God is with us when we are slow to learn and go back to our sins again. Being humble is one of the most important things for any person. And being humble, it can happen the easier way or the harder way. I don't think any way is easy in learning humility. But certainly it is easier to learn humility through teaching of God's Word than through very tough experiences in life. We need to come to God's Word that we would have a proper perspective. Humility comes not by deliberately putting ourselves down. Humility comes by putting God higher and higher. Nebuchadnezzar, he returns to his senses, it happens, as he looked properly to heaven, verse 34, when he looked to heaven, when he got heaven in his vision, in his picture again, that is when he began to make sense once more. And it's a right understanding of God. It's keeping this understanding of God in constant focus that enables us to walk humbly and wisely. It is the fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom. It's coming to see the glory, the majesty, the wonder of this God. It's coming to be thrilled and excited. It's coming to be careful about how we live before this God. It's that that causes us to be humble. It's not a, about always going around and deliberately putting ourselves down. And Sometimes people have a, a false humility. Through humility is God-centered. Through humility is seeing ourselves in the light of God. Nebuchadnezzar's praise of God that now comes here, it, it's rich, it shows such a high view of God that he had, and particularly of God's sovereignty. Look there at verse 34 and 35. At the end of the day I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Do you remember how it all began with him thinking, of What a wonderful God, what a wonderful king I am, what a wonderful kingdom. He's now realizing his kingdom is nothing. It can be taken away from him in an instant. But God's kingdom is everlasting. And he goes on in verse 35: All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? I love that verse, because that verse tells me that the God I worship is not a God who tries and sometimes succeeds and sometimes fails. That verse tells me that the God I worship has a perfect plan. And in this world of evil, he is working out his plan. And none can stop God from filling his plan. And the plans he has for our lives, God will do it. God will achieve it. We must just marvel at this God. This God is almighty. This God is all wise, all loving, all merciful. We should see the greatness of this God. Don't bring him down to be a God who tries. He is the God that does as he pleases in heaven above and earth beneath, and none, none can stop him. This is the God that King Nebuchadnezzar has now come to know. The picture here is of the God who is no equal, no real competitor. None can stay His hand. We mustn't have a picture of God that's too small. And this sense of God's greatness, His vastness, His glory is vital and something that we need to seek more and more in our lives. We need to have a sense of God. Can I really encourage you? Read books like Ephesians and Romans. Read books like Isaiah and Daniel, Ezekiel so much to get a bigger view of God, the book of Exodus. I kind of encourage you to read a book by J.I. Packer, Knowing God, if you've never read it. I have a few extra copies you want to copy. Or the book by Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy. Or by A.W. Pink, The Sovereignty of God. We need to stretch our minds And realize that we worship a God who is far, far beyond us. And we need to be growing in our knowledge of who he is. Nebuchadnezzar has all his kingdom restored, we see in verse 36. And this would result in him being considered by the, the greatest of all the Babylonian kings. Saddam Hussein, when he was the leader of Iraq, which is now what Babylon was, he wanted to become the next Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is a man who is renowned for his great military conquests, but even more than a great commander of his armies, he was a tremendous builder. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world he is believed to have been the builder of. He did it for his wife because she missed the the green hills of where she came from. So he built a great big hanging garden in front of the palace. Nebuchadnezzar's final recorded words in verse 37 are again these words of praise. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to to humble. I really believe that this man who had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace, this man who was so full of himself, I believe we will see this man one day in glory because God humbled him. God humbled him to acknowledge the greatness of God, and unlike the other occasions when after the different things happened and he praised God and it seemed to be a passing thing, now he acknowledges God as the king of heaven. The king to be obeyed. The king to be worshipped. Are you still maybe too full of yourself? Is there too much of I, I, I or me, me, me in your thinking? Our words should be like the words of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist's disciples were annoyed that more and more people were going to follow Jesus and leaving John the Baptist, what were the words of John? He must increase. I must decrease. And what did Jesus think of John the Baptist? There was none born of woman who was greater than he. What's the sign of greatness? The sign of greatness is humility. The sign of greatness is knowing you worship a great God. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we just praise you for the wisdom of your, your dealings with King Nebuchadnezzar. And Father... We just praise you that this reminds us that there is no one, no one beyond your reach. No one who you cannot break into their lives. And Father, may that encourage us to to pray, Father, even for those who are in high office in this world, even for our prime minister, even for the, the president of America, even for the president of Russia, to realize there's no one that your grace cannot touch. Oh, Lord, help us to believe in your greatness. Help us to have a higher view of you, our God. Help us to be humble before you. Help us to have lives which are less and less full of ourselves and more and more full of Jesus. Oh, Father, may we truly echo the words of John. He must increase. I must decrease. In Jesus' name, amen.